couldn't just one more time stand. And if we couldn't just offer him a little bit more praise tonight for his goodness, for his mercy, for his grace. I love the song set that the worship team put together tonight. Goes right along with what the Lord's been dealing with me on. Voices, beliefs, and behaviors. There's a war going on right now for our mind to distract us from what God would have us to do. I want you to agree with me tonight in prayer before I start this word that God would have his way. That he would open the doors for us to have a newfound boldness to revive that fire in us to declare his goodness to speak to the mountain to take dominion over sickness. God, right now, anoint these words tonight, God. I'm just your mouthpiece. Lord, from the top of my head to the soles of my feet, God, saturate me with your spirit. Let me be sensitive, oh God, to what you'd have me bring to this people tonight. God, and I thank you right now for the miracles that you're going to wrought through this night and from this time forward, God. And we give you the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. You see, from the very beginning, there has been a battle raging even before man came into the picture there was a battle going on in heaven for control and old lucifer thought he was really something and he spoke to the host and was able to sway with his voice one-third of God's angelic creation. And when that happened, he fell and took a third of the host with him. And we have that account in Revelations chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. And prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. See, all that happened before 
man was even created. And it didn't take long for the devil to come onto the scene once man was in the garden. And before he did, God had already proclaimed what Adam and Eve were able to do, what, what blessings they had at their disposal. I mean, they walked with God. They had want for nothing because he had provided everything for them. But here we go. Satan, he comes to Eve, subtle as he is, and just like a lot of religions today, twist the truth to sway them to accept perhaps something less but regardless to attack their belief system because see Satan knows the word of God just like you and I do he knows it better than some of us do and that's why he's such a good deceiver And sometimes, Pastor, that's why I have problems with some of the different interpretations that we have of the Bible. Because wording is so important. When you begin to divide a word, after you divide something so many times, you are left with almost nothing. And so you have to be careful, the voices that you listen to. You know, the, the devil came to Eve and, you know, he, he let, let's just throw that up there. I think it's in Genesis 3, verses, verse 4. And he said to the woman, you shall not surely die. But if we, can we back up? Let's go to verse 1 if you've got it there. Now the servant was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, Hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Yeah, he did. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it. Neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And here he comes. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. Can you go on to verse 5? I think it is. Let's go a couple more on in there. What he knew was that their eyes would be opened and that they would be able to discern right from wrong, good from evil, and they themselves would be like gods. So, when Satan came into the picture and posed this question to, to Eve, he caused her to hesitate and to think things in a different way. He came in to disrupt her belief system. And that's what the devil wants to do to each and every one of us today. He wants to disrupt our belief system. He wants to have us so confused and so bound and, and have our attention focused on so many different things that we're not able to hear his voice. There is a war of noise going on for your attention to keep you from hearing the voice of God. 
as we go on with that, Cain and Abel. We all know that Cain was the, the farmer of crops and, and Abel was the keeper of, of livestock. And, and when they brought their sacrifices, Cain's was not accepted. And he, he, his entire countenance changed. His attitude changed. His behavior changed. And God posed the question to him, you know, why, why are you so wroth? Why has your countenance changed? What, what's wrong with you? If, if you would not do good, would you not be accepted? But if you don't, if you won't, sin lieth at the door. And so here again... We're, we're, we're given a choice. We can either listen to the voice in the back of our head that tells us we're not good enough, or we can take God's instruction, learn from it, repent, and find our way back and be used of God. But instead, in listening to the voice of the enemy or the Antichrist, Satan got the better of Cain, and Cain then devised a plan, talked to his brother, get his confidence, and then slay him in the field. Just because God doesn't accept your gift doesn't mean that he's denying you or that he's preventing you from having part or going further with him. He's trying to develop a better belief system and create in you a better mindset to stay focused on him. You see, Abraham, was, was, he was called a friend of God. Man, what a great, what a great thing to be called and to be known as the friend of God because of his belief and how he followed God. Abraham was faced with all kinds of things in his life. You know, he... He, he was told to separate himself from his family so that God could speak to him clearly. He was given great promises. And the, the biggest promise that Abraham wanted was he wanted a son. He wanted his, his own birth son between him and his wife. And they, they for sure were for sure that it was time that it would never happen. And so, like many of us, they took things into their own hands he had a son from Hagar, his wife's handmaid, and it messed things up. But God still kept his word to Abraham. Abraham didn't lose his faith in God. He continued to walk with God, and eventually that promise came true. Even though they were beyond years, they had that promised child. Moses had certainly also obstacles that he had to face. The, the king had put out an edict when he was just a baby to have all of the, the males killed because the king was afraid that someone was going to take over the throne. And so his, his mother and his father had faith and believed enough in God that God would take care of him and that there was a calling upon his life that they hid him and then at a certain time in his age, put him into a basket, pushed him out into the, the, the waters where the Pharaoh's daughter was bathing. She found him and raised him. But as time went on, he knew what his heritage was, and he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
here again is a situation that he took matters into his own hands when it came to how the Egyptians were treated, or how the Egyptians were treating the Hebrews. They were in slavery. They were doing all the construction work for the, for the king, building a city. And Moses, seeing one of the Egyptians beating one of the uh, Hebrew slaves, took action and killed the Egyptian. And then he feared for his life, and so he took off. He took off and hid. He lived as a fugitive for, for years in the, in the wilderness. But he never walked away from God. He continued to listen to the voice of God, even, even at times doubting what he was called to do, because he, he, he tried and tried even to get out of what God wanted him to do, because he wasn't confident that he was able to fulfill some of the things that God was laying out for him. And we're all faced with that. God has a plan for each of our lives. And the things that we face are not just for us. I believe the things that we face are to increase, that we face are to increase our faith in him because God has a greater plan to use us to reach someone else. We are only being equipped to touch the lives of others because of what we face and what we endure. One of my, I think probably my, my favorite stories in the Bible is, is about Job. Talk about a man of faith and a man tested and tried in every way. Now, we don't know how many, how long his trial of affliction went on. We know there was at least a week of it when his friends came along. But we don't know exactly when the friends showed up. Because when God allowed Satan to come at him, it was, when he took that hedge down, it was immediate that things begin to happen. Things begin to fall apart in his life. Things that mentally should have destroyed him, would have caused anyone's faith to waver. But he was so strong and had such a strong belief in God. He was a man of integrity. There wasn't anything to question about Job, where he stood with things. And when his friends came and sat with him, at first they didn't say a thing. They just sat and mourned with him over, over his losses. He lost everything he had, all his possessions. He lost his children. And it, that was all, I believe, within hours of each other because before the first servant was done speaking, here comes another one with more bad news. More bad news. But what's interesting in that is that when he received that last bit of bad news, Job worshipped God. How many of us would do that today? It'd be hard-pressed to lose everything that you have, family, 
possessions, everything. And then to have when your friends show up and then they finally speak, they, they, they don't speak anything good to you. Surely you've done something wrong. You, there, there must be a hidden sin somewhere in your life. And then, the, then his own wife says, why do you maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. Where was her faith? Where was her encouragement? When we see someone struggling or going through a situation, that's when we as the body need to rally around them. We have got to let our faith come alive and our belief Because it's that belief that we have that we can spark something within them to encourage them. You know, I I had, and I'm probably going to get off track here and, and, and messed up because God messed me up through this entire study. Because he, he gave me this word weeks ago. And I was, it was just this week, I was up early in the morning putting my notes in what I thought were order. And my wife said when she got up for coffee, she said, you got your notes done? I said, no, no. God messed me up. So I know what Brother Josh feels like when he says, I did all this studying. And God said, "Mm, that was for you. That was to prepare you for what I want my people to receive. My challenge to our church is this. Believe God fully and let that belief be manifest in your life through your behaviors and through your actions. When I, it's pointless to look at that really. When I was growing up and the church that I was in, it always seemed like our focus was on a person's behaviors. They have to behave a certain way before we invite them to church. The focus was they have to dress a certain way if they're going to come to church. <laughs> and that is so backwards. Because we, we can't change a person's behaviors. Only God can change a person's behaviors. All we can do, our responsibility lies in bringing them or introducing them to Christ. And the best way that we can do that is not so much what we say, but what we do. Our actions speak so much louder than what our words will ever 
convey. There's, there's a scripture in, I believe it's Galatians, and Sister Turnbull, you're going to have to forgive me because I'm, I'm going to be all over probably at this point. But it, it says, who hath so easily bewitched you, and I'm going to paraphrase this, and, or caused you to fall away from what you believe? See, that's the devil's business to overload us so that we can't have a clear focus. Social media, one minute leads to 10 minutes. 10 minutes leads to an hour. An hour leads to the better part of your day. Because there's so, it's, it's a trap. It really is a trap. Because, and very little information that's on there is of any edification to anybody. Very little of it is edifying. It's generally to tear down or slander or to get your aggravated opinion heard. And I'm sorry, but sometimes we as Christians, we're just as stupid and do it. I'll admit, I've had stuff Nope, don't do it. It's not worth it. Because once it's out there, you can't take it back. Because you put it on Facebook, you put it on social media, screen, people screenshot it, save it, you'll be haunted for the rest of your life. I kid you not, you will be haunted for the rest of your life with it. We have got to let our faith rise up to make us stand above reproach. We cannot afford to be proud in any way because what, we, what I have, I didn't get it because of me. I know that. I got what I have today because God was, had favor on me. Even when I didn't deserve it, he had favor on me. And the joy of that, or the, 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 the peace with that is that he has a bigger plan and he knows what you can do. The devil knows what you can do too. That's why he is after our minds to keep us confused, to keep us running around. See, he doesn't need our stuff he doesn't even need us. What he needs is our mind to have us in derision, thinking things that aren't true, seeing situations halfway, and just formulating the rest to make the story work to however you want it to be. I'm tired. I am. I, I'm, I'm tired. I don't know how to 
provoke people. Well, I know how to provoke people. But I don't know how to provoke people to ignite their faith. And that's what God wants each of us to do. We are called to reach the lost. Not to change the lost, because that's his job. We're called to reach the lost. To bring them in. To introduce them. To encourage them. They get tore down enough from their own friends that aren't in the right way. A lot of people would like to say they have friends in the world, but they don't. It's a me, 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 me life on the outside. But when you come to God, ah, forget me, forget me. It ain't me. It's all about him. He is the only one that matters. He's the only one that can make a difference in anyone's life at all. One of the things that we have got to get ourselves back to is a consistent place of prayer. There's an old song, old song. When I was growing up, I'm not even sure if it's in the old hymnals anymore that we used to sing out of, but it says, prayer is the key to heaven, but faith unlocks the door. Words are so easily spoken, but prayer without faith is like a boat without its oars. Have faith when you speak to the master. That's all he'll ask you for. For prayer is the key to heaven, but faith unlocks the door. You have to have that prayer life because that is our communication with God. That's how he communicates back and forth with us. And sometimes communication isn't always you talking. A bigger part of communication is us listening. And hearing what he really has to say and where he's directing our feet to go. Believing will define you as a believer. Either because of what you do or what you don't do. It's kind of a catch-22. Because the world sometimes can tell you better than someone in the church how Christ-like people should act. Isn't that something? I think that's amazing. <laughs> that people on the outside can tell us because somehow they know how Christians are supposed to act. And that's why so many people have been turned off to Christianity because our actions don't always follow through with what we claim our beliefs to be. I've been there. There was a time in my life I was going to church. Yeah, it was 
pretty much just out of obligation or even for lack of a better term, it might have been a show. Made myself feel good. Made myself feel good. God should have really, at some point, taken me out. I deserved it. I don't deserve what he's given me now. I don't. <laughs> I've turned my back on God before. I've, I've even cursed God. Yeah. And those are the things that are the most difficult for us to get past. Because we have a harder time forgiving ourselves than even other people. But it's not up to us to forgive ourselves. I mean, that, that's, it, it's key that we need to find a place that we can have, have peace about it. But God is the one who forgives us. And if he's forgiven us, why do we beat ourselves up? With things. We should learn from the mistakes that we've made and move on and look for those opportunities because they will present themselves. Look for those opportunities. You can say, ah, yeah, been there. I know exactly what you're feeling. And God's not done with you yet. God's not done with any of us. He is still working on tweaking our belief system so that we can over and over and over and over go back out into the fields, into the harvest, and reach people. There, there has never been a time like we're in today with the opportunities that we have to reach people, to touch lives. But the problem that I see with a lot of mainstream, I guess for lack of a better term, mainstream churches or some of these big mega churches, is that they have, they're in love with the culture that's in the world. It's all about the lights, the show. It's more music and worship, but that's not what's going to save you. I had to chew on that one a long time when God started talking to me about this. Because I love a good worship service. I love the music. I love to whoop it up for God. But that, that's an emotion, and that will not save you. We, yes, we absolutely need to do that before God, but we need to make sure that it's for the right reasons, not for a show. Because the world can, spake a, can, can spot a fake, trust me. And, and they've, they've got enough fakes in their life now that they're looking for something real. And the church has got what's real. The true church of God has got what's real. And we need to share it with the world. 
we, the culture is not the salt of the earth. And that's what a lot of people fall in love with is, is the, the culture. They, they like what's going on. And, and, and the, these, I wouldn't want to go to a mega church where the pastor didn't know me on a one-on-one basis. And I couldn't get time with my pastor when I needed some good counsel. The church is the salt of the earth. Not the culture. The culture will send you to hell. Because their focus is not on God and truth. Yeah. Some of these mega churches put out awesome music. They really do. But what are what are their beliefs that, that are that are preached? And sometimes you have to be careful even with some of the music that they put out that you might get caught into because not everything is based on the word. And if anybody tells you anything, gives you anything, turns your head toward anything that does not measure up with the the word of God, you better run away. I mean, you better turn your back and run away. There needs to be enough of God in you that you can stand up and say, "Mm, not this one, not this one, not today, not today, devil. You may throw a lot of things at me, but not today. Programs won't save us. Volunteering, doing different things in the church won't save you. Following God to the letter, having your faith exercised, believing, letting your spirit, letting your mind believe what your spirit already knows, that's what will save you. You've got to build your life on God and God alone. And I, I, I know there, there's, you've got to have moderation in all things, but when you start, some people take that moderation to the wrong, the wrong degree. And, and it's like, I think Pastor mentioned it just this past Sunday, you know, people try to live one foot in the church and one foot in the world, and you're going to be lost. You can't do it. You can't do it. You're either all for one and not for the other, or all for the other and not for the not for the one. You, you can't live a double-minded life. You'll be unstable in everything you do. You'll never be an effective soul winner. You'll never be an effective person that can witness to anyone. You'll never even be if you won't even be used in the kingdom of God. Because God does not tolerate unsteadiness. He's called us to be faithful to him and to him alone.
when when Jesus stepped into the to the scene, even just the prophecy of Jesus brought light onto the scene. Suddenly there was there's a choice. What are you, what are you going to choose? You know, we, people all have the the access to truth. And they have a choice. You either accept it or reject it. For a while, you can go back and forth, but that's when you get messed up because the devil will fight you all the harder in trying to sway you for your time, for your talent. See, God is a jealous God. He cares about you and what happens to you. Our faith should be so great from the examples that we that we have in the Bible and through the historical accounts of, of great men in the Bible that it shouldn't even be a question that is my God able to do this? I think one of the one of the greatest stories in the New Testament when when Jesus was performing miracles was that let me back up a little bit. Just knowing something doesn't believe it doesn't equate that you embrace it. And if you look back through history with some of the Roman soldiers. They were Romans. They were working for the Roman government. But they did not all, even those that were in a position of authority, did not all believe what they were, believe in what they were doing. Because as they would come onto the scene of different things, little by little, things would begin to work on them. And their eyes would begin to be opened. But when Jesus was performing some of his early miracles, there was a centurion who came running to Jesus. And he, his servant, his right-hand servant, was, was sick, was not doing well. Didn't, he was going to even live. And Jesus was ready right then to, to pick up where he was at and go and, and heal this this centurion's servant. And he said, no, I'm not worthy to even have you come to my house. But I know that if you just speak the word, it'll be done. Talk about faith. And I'm convinced tonight that that is the kind of faith that we ought to have in the church. Excuse me. See, Jesus spoke to the wind. 
and it's and it was still. He told us that if we speak to the mountain, it would be moved. But in our natural thinking, it's hard for us to understand that or even grasp it. But I'm telling you, I'm standing here tonight, I'm convinced that we have that ability, that we have that power, that we we should be able, we should have enough of God in us that when we step into a room where there's chaos, it becomes peace. Where sickness is raging, I believe that we can just walk past a person because we should have enough of God in us flowing out of us, not because of who we are, but because of who has us, that we should be able to walk past people and they should feel something, something that would draw them. And if we, if we don't have that kind of effect on people, I think we need to be checking ourselves. Because I'll tell you what, that, that's what I, I pray every day. God, let me, let me be sensitive to the things that are going on around me. And let me have an effect on someone, not so much because of words that I say, but maybe just because I'm there. Just a smile, just, sometimes even just a look is all it takes to encourage someone. Your, your facial expressions, your body language can say more sometimes than what your language, your verbal language would say to someone. I think so many times I've tried to keep close contact with, with Brother Kelly. And to encourage them. And I've, I've told them. And I've repeated it. And I hold to it. But that man is sitting on a miracle. You have to endure some things before you see the manifestation of a miracle in your life. And a lot of times miracles aren't for our benefit. The miracles are for those around that need to see the goodness and the faithfulness of God. You know, when, when God... When Jesus was in the crowd and, and the, 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 the woman with the issue of blood pressed her way through and touched him, she was determined in her mind. She believed that if she could just touch his garment, that she would be healed. And her endeavor, her faith, her determination did something to Jesus. I mean, he knew who touched him. He knew it. But what he needed was that individual to step forward and let people know what had been done for her. 
Miracles aren't for the believers, but miracles are for the unbelievers. And I believe what an impact the, the Kellys have had on the doctors and the nurses and the specialists and everybody that they have encountered time after time with visits and everything that's gone on with them because of their faithfulness and their belief of what God is doing. Sister Kelly one time told me, she says, God's got this. It ain't over yet. And it's not. But when we get to the point that we feel that we can't take another step and that we want to give up, that's when we are on the threshold of that miracle happening in our situation, in our life, on our job, in our finances, whatever your, your case may be. We cannot afford to give up. The harder things get, the more we ought to cry out, I believe, I believe, I believe. My God, I believe. I don't ever want to be in a position of, of doubting what God can do for me. Even though I may not see it, there's always an undercurrent going on. He's always working. Always working. So it doesn't matter if I can see what's happening or not. For we know that all things work together for good to them that are called to those that believe, to those that exercise their faith. That's the thing. We don't exercise our faith enough. I'm convinced that we don't. Or we would see so many more things happening in our churches. You want to know why so many things happen in these third world countries? Because they have no other hope. God is their everything. And when they're introduced to him and they get that revelation, you can't stop them. They'll stand for hours, shoulder to shoulder, in sweltering heat. We can't come together on a Sunday in the middle of August for an hour and a half in an air-conditioned building because it's too hot to get out and drive in our car. And most of them have to walk miles to get to the service they're attending. Talk about faith and exercising what they believe because they believe that if they can get there, they're going to have an encounter. God is going to do something on their behalf. And that's how we should look at every opportunity that we have to come into the church. Every time. It's not just another service. You have to come expecting to see God do something in this place. And even if you don't expect it, he's going to do something. But just imagine the things that could happen if we all came in here with the right mindset that God's going to deliver somebody today. God might deliver me today. 
I need God every day. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. I need him to carry me through Monday, through Tuesday, through Wednesday, through Thursday, through Friday, through Saturday. By the time I get to the end of the week, I ought to come in here so pumped up on Sunday because of what he's done for me through the week. I can't even hold my peace. And I'm ashamed of myself that I can't get up here and worship like I should. I'm telling you what, COVID-19 has been the biggest destroyer of a lot of churches. Because we've conditioned ourselves to separate from each other and to distance ourselves. And why? Because of fear. Fear has impacted too many of our lives. It's overtaken our minds. And God is not a God of fear. He's a God of peace. He's a God of joy. Unspeakable joy. Peace that can't be understood. God is not going to leave you hanging. Even when you walk away from him, he won't leave you hanging. He will pursue you. He will not force himself on you, but he will pursue you. He will put people in your path to remind you of who he is and what he can do and what he wants to do. I have asked, and I've had permission from the pastor, I've asked the praise team to, to come back up tonight. And sing a song. And I want you to really grab the words that they're singing. Because God is for me. He's not out to hurt you. He's not out to keep you from having things. He wants to bless you. He wants to see you grow. But we have to put our trust and our belief in him. So that he can have his way. And that his work can be done. He could do it without us. But the reason he uses us is to strengthen our belief system while we are reaching out to others. I wonder if we can't just stand.
give yourself to God. Ask Him to really open your eyes to make you sensitive to the things around you. That you would hear only His voice. That your belief would be strengthened And that your actions would bring others to him. to remind